show brought to you by johnpielli.com. What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I would know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball, and from the baseball angle, I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie that you believe. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team sucks. Well, he is out. He's out. Yes, Brad is out. Look at, look at this. Brad is out. And uh, Damon Mack. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This can run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. Oh, yeah. Coming at you from the CSB studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey on the MTR Radio Network. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com. Welcome aboard. Thanks for coming on. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, for those of you who are looking to listen from Thursday from 5 to 7, hope you guys enjoyed the uh, Stash for Sandy fundraiser hosted by Joey Baboots. You know, his dad getting his mustache trimmed and the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed that. But uh, past ball show, John Pielli here with you. Got a good show planned today in a little bit. I'll be joined by uh, Yankees writer, beat writer for the, uh, what's it called, the Star Ledger. That's uh, Andy McAuliffe. And uh, Jeff Juden will be joining the program, former Major League pitcher for the Astros, Brewers, Yankees, amongst other teams. Uh, a little bit after that, towards the end of the show, you'll be hearing my interview that I recorded uh, this past Monday with former Major League pitcher Al Herboski. And, you know, you d- definitely don't want to miss that. It was a great spot from actually talking to him, doing the whole thing. Uh, I promise you, you won't be disappointed. It was definitely a great spot. But ton of stuff going on, Major League Baseball. You know where we are. We're in spring training. Everybody's in- involved in the World Baseball Classic. Uh, most of the star players, a lot of players for different countries, the guys playing for the Team USA, yada, yada, yada. They're all out there doing their thing, competing for the prize. And uh, a, lot, a lot of people say that the World Baseball Classic isn't worth nothing. You know, nobody watches it. Who cares? But the one thing I'll say in regards to the World Baseball Classic, it means a lot to the players that are participating. And you heard from guys, whether it's uh, front office people, Brian Cashman, you know, guys that just would prefer not to have their players in the World Baseball Classic. And I think, uh, to me, they couldn't be any more wrong with it. I think the biggest issue that I have or that I see in this is that these players do want to play for their country. It does mean a lot to the individual players. And, you know, from players that didn't come from the United States or particularly Latin American countries, you know, out far east, um, even all, you know, teams like Italy, stuff like that. They want to play for their heritage, for their, for their, their fan base, and the, really the people that they know love them and follow them. And I don't think in any way could you take a step back and just say, you know, playing professional baseball in the United States, Major League Baseball, should be more important than playing for your country because I do think that these players do owe it to their their selves, their families, and, and the people that follow them to want to play for their country. And they should have that right. They should have that decision. They should be able to make that decision on their own. And I, I don't agree with any of these organizations that want to determine whether their players should or should not play. And unfortunately, you saw something that happened this week, and we're going to touch on it when, uh, with Andy McAuliffe in a little bit. But, you know, the injury to Mark Teixeira, obviously he is out for probably about eight to ten weeks, maybe on the cautious side with the wrist injury, the whole thing. But, listen, I mean, these players should have the right. You know, the guys that want to play for Team USA or play for the Dominican Republic or whatever country that they want to represent, they should have the right to do that. 
and you know you cannot deny their interest or their ability or their their wantingness to to do so and it's an unfortunate you know situation for the Yankees who are obviously in a little bit of a little bit of a panic mode maybe a little bit of fear going in you know the Curtis Granderson injury you know he's going to be out for at least the first full month of the season uh, obviously, the Yankees have lost some firepower in their offense, guys who are capable of hitting home runs. You know about A-Rod not being around, and now Mark Teixeira will not be around for a little while. And I think, you know, certainly you, you just look at that as an injury of chance, something that could have happened in spring training. I mean, they're playing competitive games in spring training. I don't think it could have been prevented, you know, from, let's say, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I think it's a situation where you look at it and you say, hey, it could have happened to anyone at any time. And it's unfortunate. But, listen, we'll get into that with, of course, Andy McAuliffe. And, you know, we'll, of course, speaking with Jeff June, Al Herbosky. I'm working on a couple other spots that could be possibilities to be with you today on the Pass Ball Show. But we're going to stay in New York. We're going to get into a little bit of what to expect from the New York Mets this season. And we're going to get into some other teams, too. And, uh, of course, for those of you who follow me on uh, johnpla.com, my personal website, as well as mtrmedia.com, we'll see that I started my 30 to 1 MLB countdown, which is the second edition of it. I did it last year. And, you know, I'm glad to see that, you know, more people are picking up, more people are commenting, more people are going back and forth with me with a little bit of discussion. Because now is really when you want to break down teams. You want to get into not just saying what teams are the best, but what can we expect about the teams that aren't really any good? And uh, obviously, I've hit on the Mets already in my in my post. I got them ranked 27th out of the 30 teams. And for those of you who don't know or haven't really followed what I'm doing with this countdown, is I'm using the Las Vegas over/unders and kind of compounding that with where I think teams are going to be. And I'll use the over/unders to say, hey, this team's going to be under. This team's going to be over. In the end, I'll put together 162 game records, accumulations, the whole thing. And then I'm going to rank them. I got a team with, let's say, you know, 93 wins, 97 wins. Obviously, those teams will be towards the top. The teams towards the bottom that I got 60, maybe even 50 wins, whatever, are going to be towards the bottom. And then I do a preview a day. And I start with team number 30. I'll do it in, in inverse order of the order that I think the major league teams will be 1 to 30. And I start out with the Houston Astros. I move my way up. If I've got this correct, I got the Houston Astros 30, the Miami Marlins 29, the Minnesota Twins 28, the New York Mets 27, the Milwaukee Brewers 26, the Colorado Rockies 25, and the Chicago Cubs 24. So that's where I'm at now. I'm up to 24. And one thing that I find really interesting about this, and this is what I've kind of enjoyed doing, is you kind of get a chance to sense what a team is about whether it's good or bad there are strong points there are weaknesses on every major league baseball team and to go let's say the houston astros who a lot of people have projected to have maybe the worst team in major league baseball history and we're to put that on hold and take this call right now i believe this is andy mccullough andy you there buddy hey how's it going hey what's up man thanks for having a couple minutes today no problem no problem all right, man, we'll, we'll start out. We'll get into things with the New York Yankees, and I'll ask you a couple couple other questions. But, you know, first of all, let's say you're, you're covering the Yankees right now. What is the number one story going on in New York Yankees' Grapefruit League camp? Right now, uh, Mariana Rivera is expected to retire um, on Saturday. Right now it's his retirement after the um, 2013 season. It's kind of a decision that he's been uh, probably said he's made his mind up a while ago, but he hasn't sort of revealed it yet. And now, um, some some people, you know, with knowledge of his plans, I guess, and he's supposed to hold a press conference on Saturday um, to uh, kind of say that this is going to be his last year. Um, uh, that's uh, yeah, but that's that's not, I guess. I mean, it's obviously news that it's going to happen, but it's not shocking. Um, the biggest issue here, obviously, has been the injuries. Uh, Curtis Granderson's out for two months with a broken right forearm. Uh, Mark Sheriff is out for two months with a uh, wrist strain that is kind of troubling and that they don't really know how long it's going to take for it to go away. Um, so it hasn't been the best spring training so far. Um, you know, obviously the team came in with a lot of questions, you know, their age, the sort of uh, lack of depth on the roster, you know, losing players like Swisher and Russell Martin and uh, to a lesser extent Raul Banez, and now, you know, two of their sort of 
key cogs in the lineup aren't going to be there on opening day. So there's definitely some concern here uh, with the, about a month to go before opening day. Yeah, no question about it. Once again, this is John Pielli. I'm here with Andy McAuliffe, who covers the Yankees for the Star Ledger. Now, do you do you think that there was enough? I, I would assume that there probably was enough concern coming into spring training already with the loss of Swisher and Russell Martin and you know the the, the before mentioned guys. Um, do you do you think that the Yankees, maybe the front office, the let's say coaching staff, you know, fan base in particular? has hit a, a state of panic yet? Well, I mean, the fan base is perpetually panicked. You know, the exactly. fan base is sort of, you know, spoiled, and that's, you know, just kind of the product of how good the baseball team's been for the last 20 years. Um, I don't think the coaching staff or the front office is panicked. Um, I'm sure both are unhappy with how the spring has gone, but, you know, I'm sure the front office more than the coaching staff understood that this was kind of something that could happen. Um, you know, the team is very committed to getting their payroll under the uh, $189 million, uh, luxury tax threshold for 2014, which means, you know, you have to let a guy like Nick Swisher go, um, even though there's, you know, there's a baseball argument for letting him go as well. He's kind of one of those guys who doesn't tend to age very well, I think, in some ways. Um, but, uh, you know, so it, it's something that they understood. It's going to be interesting to see, though, you know, really in terms of if this team, you know, comes out slow and if this team is, you know, three or four games under 500 or a couple games over 500 and not really in it midway through, if they can, you know, sort of change gears and become sellers, which is something they really haven't ever done in a modern era. Um, they've just been so accustomed to sort of, you know, charging forward for the playoffs. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, in terms of there being a panic, yeah, I mean, the fans are always – um, and sort of the rational ones understand that you know it's it's not exactly easy to win the World Series every year. Yeah, no question about it. And and I'm I'm looking at it from this perspective because you know the Yankees were intending to come into 2013 with a different type of team. You know, we look at the mm -hmm. Yankees over the last five, ten years, and we know they're hey get a couple guys on base, hit the three run homer. Uh, obviously, there's going to be more of an implementation of small ball this year. And, and I think it, it even gets, you know, gets, gets exaggerated a little more to a point where, you know, you don't have Granderson, you're not going to have Teixeira. How, how do you feel the Yankees' best way to score some runs is going to be? Are they going to have to, you know, get a, get a walk and bunt the guy over? I mean, is it going to get to that point? Well, no, I mean, you know, they're, they're going to have to score the way most teams do, which is stringing together, you know, singles and doubles. Um, you know, there's not many teams that, you know, have four or five guys and hit 20 home runs. I mean, that's kind of what makes them a rarity and has made them the offense so special over the last couple of years. But, yeah, I mean, they, you know, it's, it's going to just have to be stringing together hits, which is kind of the way everyone does it, but it's also the hardest way to do it, if that makes sense. Um, you know, because the easiest way to score is home runs because – it's the best possible thing that can happen <laughs> when you're at, you know, when you're batting. So it, it's definitely going to be a change of pace, but it's not like they're going to be playing some sort of exotic form of baseball that no one's seen before. It's just a more, you know, it's a more grounded approach that most teams in the major leagues have to play because they lack the talent that the Yankees have had uh, in the couple years before this one. Yeah, no question about it. Once again, this is John Piel. I'm here with Andy McAuliffe, who covers the Yankees for Star Ledger. Now, but what what do you think offhand? You know, with with the injury to Granderson, with the injury to Shashara, we'll take one at a time. Who who do you think starts in? Let's say it's right or left field. Whoever is going to replace whether Ishiro plays right or left, who replaces Granderson in the starting lineup opening day? In your opinion, right now? Well, I mean, it's it's, it's definitely too early to say anything definitively. But if I had to guess, I would think it's going to be some form of. Uh, maybe Melky Mesa, who's a sort of younger, defensive-minded guy who's in the minor leagues, who they like. Um, they like his ability to, you know, play all three positions. And, you know, he's obviously not the hitter um, that Granderson is, but he has some versatility and he can help their outfield defense. Um, you know, there's also Juan Rivera as an option out there left, but that sort of ties into what's going on at first base because Rivera – appears to be one of the options at first, uh, he and Dan Johnson. And so if the team doesn't make a move, you know, pick anyone up, and at this point in the year there's not much that's really that appealing. You know, there's guys like Aubrey Huff and Carlos Lee and Scott Rowland who, you know, have had good careers but at this point don't appear to have a ton of value. Um, you know, there's not there's not too much to be gained by bringing in those guys as compared to the ones they are in the camp. So, you know, I would say if I had to guess right now it would be, you know, Mesa playing in the outfield with Rivera on the roster, getting a good deal of time at first base. But I also think Kevin Euclid is going to see some time at first. 
uh, with um, Jason Nix and maybe Eduardo Nunez uh, playing a little bit uh, at third. But again, Nunez has to um, take some time at shortstop, throwing Derek Jeter, who we haven't even gotten to yet, uh, you know, has to DH. So there's a lot of sort of different machinations here. It's not as simple as, well, this guy's going to play here and this guy's going to play there. There's a lot of, you know, different ways this can break, kind of depending on how the next couple of weeks go. Yeah, no question about it. Now, now, Andy, what what do you think? What do you think would be the best option? Should the should the Yankees consider using Euclid as a full time third baseman? You know, that's what they signed him for. He was expected to replace mm-hmm. Arod, or should they look to maybe uh, find a third baseman from within? Or what do you what what do you think is the easiest position for the Yankees to fill third base or first yeah, base? That's legitimately a difficult question to answer because, you know, I think there's there's talking to people around the game, you know, there is a sort of sense that kind of what's happened to Euclid over the last couple of years in terms of his physical decline and some of his numbers going down is partially related to him shifting off third space, which is where he played for most of the time when he was in Boston. You know, he shifted to make room for Adrian Gonzalez. And, you know, playing third base is more physically taxing than first base. Um, so, yeah, you could make an argument that, hey, you know, he's going to get a real boost from moving to first base. But at the same time, you know, you're putting Jason Nix's bat in the lineup. And Nix can definitely handle the position, but he's not the hitter Kevin Euclid is, you know. And so you kind of have to argue, well, does Nix's defense at third base make up for what, you know, ever offense you could get out of Juan Rivera or Dan Johnson at first base? And it's unclear, you know, what that gap is. Um, so there's, yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly an argument to be made, but then again, you're moving him from off their base for a month, and then you're shipping him back. So it's it's not like it's not a long term solution. Um, I don't know how that would affect him just on the day to day of you know having to play one position, and then all of a sudden moving. Um, he's open to it, but it's it's one of those things that there it's like a lot of stuff here. It's going to take some time to figure out. Yeah, absolutely. Now you you look at uh, you know Dan Johnson, who is a proven guy. He's been a he's been a bench player over the last like several years, in and out between AAA and the majors with a couple different teams. Uh, is, is there a chance that he could emerge as a solution, maybe at first base with uh, Tashara being out? Sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, he's he and Juan Rivera are the two main options. Uh, Rivera started today at first base, and uh, Johnson's going to start tomorrow. Um, so you know, if he hits well and you know shows you know shows some pop here in camp, I mean, he definitely has a chance. He's as good a chance as anyone at this point. Now, do you think that it's possible at all that uh, the Yankees would would explore a trade for maybe a major upgrade in either the outfield or first base at this point, or does it just this look? Isn't... You know, this isn't really the time of year when trades happen. Um, you know, it's possible. I'm sure they're talking to people. I'm sure they're going to consider all options. But just early in the year, major deals don't happen because teams, you know, like you say you say they want to get Alfonso Soriano, right? Well, to get Alfonso Soriano, you'd have to give more than he would likely be worth at midseason because you're getting him for a longer period of time. You are getting him at a time when, you know, the Cubs would like to sell tickets. The Cubs would like to win baseball games. And, you know, the Cubs wouldn't mind making some noise in the NL Central. So, you know, they're not sellers yet. No one is really a seller yet because the season hasn't started. So in order to convince someone to sell, you have to give more than you likely would, you know, when people are actually sellers, which is when the deadline's coming. Um, so it's not. It's just not really the time of year when major deals happen. Minor stuff might. You know, they might get a. They're probably going to pick some people off the waiver wire when they get cut in a few weeks. But to get a big time deal, a big time bat, I just don't see it. Yeah, and no, I agree. I think it's going to be tough to make a deal right now. Now on to uh, Mr. Jeter for a minute. What what do you see out of out of Derek? Do you think he's he is uh, close enough to a hundred percent where we could expect him to be? you know, Derek Jeter to play maybe 140 games, whether it's between shortstop and DH, and be an integral part of this team this year? It's it's going to definitely be interesting to see. I mean, he still hasn't played in a Grapefruit League game. He was he visited with his doctor in North Carolina today um, to kind of get the final clearance to uh, playing games, and the team kind of hopes, you know, maybe he could start in games, if not by the weekend, then by um, early next week. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's 39 years old. He's coming off major ankle surgery, and he was not the best defensive shortstop in the world before this. So, you know, he, he had a really great season last year. I mean, he was, he was a good hitter. You know, he, I think he led the American, he led the American League in hits. Um, but it's unclear, you know, if that's a sign of a further renaissance or if it's kind of a dead cat bounce, you know. Um, the Yankees certainly hope it's, you know, he's a sign of the renaissance, but he's, 
you know, sort of stabilize himself once more. And, hey, I mean, the guy's an elite, elite, elite baseball player. He's, well, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. He, 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 you would lose a lot of money betting against him. But it's certainly going to be a challenge. And um, it's, it's hard to envision him being as good as he was last year. But, you know, maybe he'll do it. He's, he's proven a lot of people wrong before. Yeah, and absolutely wouldn't rule it out. But you know, looking at looking at Derek Jeter and his you know his his attitude, his determination, the way that he kind of carries himself. Do you think the injuries to Granderson and to Shara would impact his like maybe abil- ability to, uh, let's say, if he was not a hundred percent, would would you think he would try he would try to go a little further than you know he he would expect just because he is Derek Jeter and he would expect to be in a lineup. Uh, I mean, I think if he felt that way, he would have put himself in the lineup last week. Yeah. You know, and he hasn't. He said, you know, someone asked him was the other day, is he ready to play? He said, nope. You know, he, he understands. I mean, he's a smart guy. You know, he's been doing this for a long time. And he's not, I don't think he's going to be influenced by outside stuff. I mean, that's kind of one of the things that's, you know, one of the hallmarks of his career is that he's been insular and in sort of his focus and things like that a lot of times. So I don't really foresee, you know, him pushing himself or, or being allowed to push himself by the front office, um, you know, going forward into sort of a risky situation like that. Now, one of the most important things for the Yankees, particularly because of the, the downgrades, you know, through, through their offense, is going to be their pitching, particularly their starting pitching. What, what, what do you see so far in some of these starters, such as Sabathia and Pettit and Kuroda? Do you think they're, they're, they're in good enough shape? They're going to be ready to go? And what can you expect for them over the course of the season? Well, I mean, Sebastian and Pettit haven't pitched in games yet. They've been doing sim games and stuff. Uh, Corona's look good in games, you know, but again, it's the spring. Um, I think in general, I mean, if these guys are healthy, they showed last year they can all still pitch pretty well. I mean, CC is uh, kind of the definition of an ace. Um, He's he's the guy you want on the mound, you know, during the playoffs. He's the guy you know what you'll get from him every night. Um, He's just kind of a rock, and as long as he's healthy, he's going to be that guy, I think. Uh, Pettit? You know, still can get guys out. Bet it was striking out a ton of guys in limited action last year, and he was kind of only hurt by a freak accident, really. And he's got a ton of energy. You know, it seems like he's just loving being back in camp, really enjoying it. You know, doesn't sort of have the, um, you know, he's always sort of pulling both directions in home and the field. And it seems like this year he's really, you know, just kind of embraced being here. Um, and Corona was great last year. I mean, Corona was kind of a pleasant surprise. I think he was expected to do well, but not pitch as well as he did last year. Um, that said, you know, I think he's 38. Uh, you know, he threw more innings than he ever had before last year, and he still yeah, pitches in a very tough division. So, you know, there's kind of question marks with all those guys, but if they're healthy and if they're kind of they resemble the pitchers they've been in the past, they should be very successful. Yeah, and absolutely. Once again, this is John Pielli. I'm here with Andy McAuliffe, who covers the Yankees for the Star Ledger. Now, have you seen anybody in camp that maybe has grabbed your eyes that maybe nobody has really talked about yet? Maybe somebody that you could see perhaps – making this team, whether it's a, pos- a position player, a pitcher, you know, maybe somebody that hasn't gotten so much attention. Well, I mean, yeah, and there's been some guys. I mean, they like uh, Ronnie Amostelier, who's a sort of a Cuban infielder, outfielder who can hit a lot. Um, you know, they, they, they do like Adonis Garcia. I mean, he broke a handmade bone. Um, Mark Montgomery kind of came in as a hyped uh, relief prospect, and he's expected to do some damage uh, once he arrives midseason, but he's been kind of stung by a little – control problems and looks a little jittery in great league games and so um you know again it, it's early and i think all these guys are being considered it's not the sort i don't think anyone's going to catch someone by surprise because there's two obvious openings that need to be filled and so anyone who's playing well is going to start to get a lot of attention yeah no question about it now now andy listen i, I gotta ask you this because I, i'm a mets fan yeah, you, you uh, got you got off the here. yeah yeah me too man. Trust me, dude. it's been a been a, a long time, and I can't kind of get rid of the habit. But uh, covering the Mets before, what got you off there being on to the Yankees? Um, we uh, we had an opening, and uh, and we just decided that it would be uh, a good move for me to move over. Um, it's uh, you know uh, as much as Mets fans might hate it, when the Yankees beat comes with a little more attention, a little more prestige, and. Um, so it was seen as kind of a small step up from where I had been. And I was, you know, interested in uh, covering a new team. Um, there's, uh, it can get a little draining covering a, you know, uh, 90 or whatever they were, 85 loss, 90 loss team, you know, three years in a row that kind of has the exact same narrative arc each time. 
now it's understandable. Now you got to – is there anything positive that we could say about the Mets coming into the season? Yeah, they play baseball every day. Baseball is <laughs> a fun game. No. Uh, I mean, you know, there's uh, – yeah, like you look at Harvey and Wheeler and there's reason to be excited. Um, you know, Harvey's probably closer to a number three than anything else. Uh, especially this juncture. I mean, he's. I would. I would expect some regression from him uh, this year, but I think his future's still bright. Uh, Wheeler though has like an ace ceiling. Wheeler could be one of those guys, like the, you know, maybe not a Verlander, but you know, he could he could touch that sort of, you know, uh, Weaver, uh, Frankie, uh, Kershaw. You know that he could he could approach those sort of guys uh, if he hits his ceiling. And he probably won't because most guys don't hit their ceiling, and it's really hard to do that. But he's going to be pretty good. I mean. He's, He's going to be good, so he'll be fun to watch when he comes up mid-year. Uh, Darnell is a good player, you know, good, very good prospect. And that'll be exciting to see. And uh, Ike Davis will probably hit a ton of home runs. Yeah, um, outside think... of that, it's going to be a rough year, I think. That's a, you know, the situation with Santana's shoulder is kind of a mystery um, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, and the depth just isn't there. There's just a lack of talent as compared to teams like the Nationals and the Braves. No, very, very fair, man. Now, looking looking at it this way, you got to say, hey, this is the greatest time of a season to be any type of fan because everybody's zero and zero, and you still got the whole season ahead of you. So, you know, you, yep. you never know. <laughs> but listen, Andy, I want to thank you. Yeah, listen, I want to thank you for having some time today, man. Hopefully I could get you on the show sometime in the near future and keep up the good work, man. Sure thing, whatever you need it. Yep, take care. Have a good one. Yep, that was Andy McAuliffe from the Star-Ledger, and he obviously covers the Yankees, switched over this past year. He covered the Mets from, you know, a couple of years in the past, and he switched over and, you know, does a very good job covering the New York Yankees. So we're going to take a quick break. Um, you know, when we come back, we're going to hopefully get a hold of Jeff Juden, former Major League pitcher for the Astros, Brewers, uh, Yankees, amongst other teams, and we'll definitely get into a lot more stuff going on in the past ball show right here on the MTR Radio Network. So back after this. I'm Ron Sulpizi from the MTR Sports Report. Not sure where to eat? Then listen to these reviews. Awesome. Amazing Greek food. Everything is fresh. Great family restaurant in the heart of Ocean City. Katina's is an Ocean City staple. When you've had your fill of pizza, cheesesteaks, and ice cream, head for Katina's. Katina's Gyro Restaurant, 501 East 9th Street, Ocean City, New Jersey, 609-399-5525. Check out their website, katinasfoods.com. That's katinasfoods.com. Order their famous Mediterranean dressing, and they'll ship it right to your door. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Katina's Greek Restaurant. Welcome to mtrradio.com. You can listen to our live programming Monday through Friday. Get your voice heard by calling us at 609-910-0687 and on Facebook and Twitter at MTR Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. Check out the Android Marketplace and iPhone App Store for the MTR Radio app. 24-7 streaming live and on demand. MTR. I'm Karen Siaska-Zeltman from Italian Hour. When my car needs service, I take it to Jonathan's Complete Car Care. Jonathan's Complete Car Care is the best for auto repairs, tires, diagnostics, and tune-ups. You can depend on Jonathan's for the best service at prices you can afford. Give Jonathan's Complete Car Care a call, 609-601-6460. They work hard to give you the service you need. Jonathan's Complete Car Care works with many vehicles, including Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Volvo, Volkswagen, and Audi. Make Jonathan's Complete Car Care the company you keep. 609-601-6460. Call today for a free estimate or visit. Find us on the web at jonathanscompletecarcare.com and like us on Facebook and find us on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Welcome back. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. 
We're about to uh, jump into some things here. We're going to reach out right now to former Major League pitcher Jeff Juden, and we'll see how this goes. Obviously, if you've listened to the past ball show before, you know sometimes these calls end up not working out. But you know we're glad to uh, reach out and hopefully speak with former Major League pitcher Jeff Juden, who pitched with the Astros, Phillies, Giants, Expos, Indians, Brewers, Angels, and Yankees. So we'll see how that goes, and obviously if uh, it doesn't Hello. work. Hey, Jeff, how you doing, man? John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes hey. today. No problem, John. How's it going, man? Yeah, man, just hanging in there, man, doing doing my thing, man. Uh, first, uh, you know, let's get a little bit of, uh, you know, we were talking the other day about uh, about the, the thing you're promoting with the uh, – with the Kivana products and stuff like that. If you want to just uh, throw a quick plug, let us let us know a little bit more about it. Yeah, you know, Kivana. Kivana has a got I got a feedback coming here, John. Uh, how about that? A little bit better. Uh, hello. Yeah, that's a little better. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. The, I I was introduced to the Kivana products um, through my friend Vanessa and. And Mike Ruzioni, and um, you know, he told me a little bit about him. I was looking to have a natural solution to help get better, and uh, started with a total health pack. And uh, the Prime is a nitric oxide activator, which increases circulation and cognitive awareness. Um, very good, dilates the arteries, increases the blood flow. So. Uh, very good for people. Um, there's been testimonials of high blood pressure coming down from the use of it and stuff. And so it's been an amazing product for us. Also, the essentials, the core with the probiotic, uh, is a stress reducer. The herb, Ganostema pentatholin, uh, which is a Chinese herb. We discovered tribes living to about 120 over in China and um, figured it out and put it together in the formula along with a couple other herbs as they were essentials. Yeah, no, that's, so, yeah, no, that's cool, man. So how, how, can we, how can we find a product? Uh, you, got a, you got a website? Yeah, you can find the product and there's some videos to watch on mikegavana.com forward slash Jeff Juden. All right, man, so that's and definitely a way to find that out, man. Yes. Yeah, on off my website as well, jeffjuden.com. All right, so check that out at Kivana Products. Check out on jeffjuden.com. Now, Jeff, uh, you know, you were, you were drafted in the first round by the, by the Houston Astros. Tell us, tell us a little bit about, you know, your, your emergence from being drafted to your, you know, your path into the major leagues. Well, I came off winning the state championship in 1989 with the Salem High School Witches. And uh, went straight down to Kissimmee, Florida. After I was drafted, to be a part of the Gulf Coast Astros. Sorry for that. Not a friend's house. They're throwing a crawfish fest for me tonight, and some <laughs> old pitching buddies are in town. So hey, it's totally all right, man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so started off in the Gulf Coast League there. Um, you know, moved up pretty quickly. Won a PCL championship in 1991 with the Tucson Toros. And after that, I made my major league debut in Cincinnati against the Reds in a relief appearance. Now, so, uh, yeah. now, now, tell us a little bit about how, you know, how it went there. Obviously, you know, you being a first-round draft pick, I think, you know, you, you probably would have expected to probably get more of a shot in the major leagues with the Astros. What do you think attributed to – you know, you not really getting a full look, let's say like a full season to go out there and, you know, make 30 starts? Oh, well, you know, uh, basically I was young, you know, um, gained some weight in uh, the off season of 91. So uh, it was more or less about my physical condition and conditioning. So that's where I had a difference of opinion. And uh, moved along. And I uh, end up going over to the Phillies in a trade that uh, sent Mitch Williams to the Astros. He got a little bit of a chance to make you, you know, make your your impact. Really, in 1995, you made 10 starts. Um, 
you know, tell us a little bit about, about that season. You know, obviously we're talking post-strike and, you know, getting a chance to pitch a little bit for the Phillies in 1995. Yeah, well, you know, I believe that, you know, I was pitching hurt too, even with the Astros organization Okay. Uh, before I got moved along from them to Philadelphia. And then when I got over to Philadelphia, I ended up going down uh, with an elbow injury. I needed to have a, a nerve replaced, um, moved actually out of the groove and under the muscle and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, basically had elbow surgery, um, and it was during the strike time. So baseball had not been going on while I was hurt. And um, I was excited, you know, my first start back after rehabbing, uh, win against uh, one of the first starts was a win against Hideo Nomo where uh, we won 17 to 4 and it was my first win complete game and grand slam and it was a special day for us and uh, you know so it's good yeah no question about it now obviously you move on to Montreal and then you're acquired in a in a deadline deal with the by the Cleveland Indians um, you know, year they end up going to the World Series. Tell us a little bit about your experience in Cleveland, and you know your your chance to pitch in the postseason in 1997. It was a great experience. You know, we had a great team with all Hershiser and Manny and Tommy and the whole crew there. And, um, you know, it was special. You know, we uh, played every game in the playoffs, and you know, when extra innings are there and the five and game seven you know so uh you know it was exciting the whole way through and to get to the point of being one strike away from being a winning the world series that year uh you know it was a heartbreaker when florida won it yeah no question about it once again this is john pielli i'm here with former major league pitcher jeff juden now do you think that really your 1997 season was maybe your best experience because of the postseason, or did you have another moment in your career that really shines out to you? Well, you know, hitting the grand slam and stuff was special. I'm you sure know, it was. Feed <laughs> uh, my childhood idol Roger Clemens was special uh, on Canada Day in Toronto. There's a lot of people there. And, we ended up clinching the first interleague series for Montreal uh, with Pedro winning the other game, I guess, against Pat Henkin. And, um, yeah, that was a special day, you know. Uh, guys making some great plays. And, you know, guys in Montreal were a bunch of gamers. You know, they got me a lot of runs and made some of the most unbelievable plays I ever saw. Yeah, no question about it, man. Now, Jeff, now – now, being being a, a New York guy and, you know, following both of the New York teams pretty well, one moment kind of sticks out in my head. I remember the first game that uh, Mike Piazza played at Chase Stadium after he was acquired in a trade from the Marlins. It was a game against the Brewers. You happened to be the starting pitcher. Uh, do you have any recollections of that game at all? Yeah, I know they play that in New York all the time, man, on rewinds. But, yeah. yeah, I remember Mike. I played against him in the minor leagues when he was with Albuquerque before he got up. And, um, yeah, we, we had been battling for years. You know, I got up to the plate that day. I said, that's all New York needs is another pizza man in town. So, <laughs> you know, he laughed, and uh, he hit a down-and-away fastball pretty good up a right field, right center field wall that day. So, uh, you know, it was always fun competing against Mike. He's a great hitter. Uh, no question about it. Now, you know, you obviously get to finish your career with the New York Yankees in 1999. You made a star. You pitched in two games. Uh, tell us a little bit about that experience and then what led to you not pitching in the major leagues again. Well, that experience here uh New York was a quick experience for me. But, um, I enjoyed it, you know, to be a part of a world championship team, you know, it was an honor and a privilege, and uh, yeah, it's a great experience. After that, started the family, I had some health issues, and I uh, had to deal with that. Well, listen, man, it happens, dude. But listen, Jeff, I want to thank you for having some time to be part of the show, and once again, you know, you could check out, you know, jeffjuden.com, the Kivana products, and everything he's doing with that, so uh, listen... Appreciate you having having you on. Hope to speak to you again sometime in the near future. 
All right, John. Thanks, man. Yeah, anytime, man. Take care. Have a good one. Yep, and that's Jeff Juden, former Major League pitcher, like I said, with several teams, including the Astros, Phillies, San Francisco Giants, Expos, the Indians, of course, pitching in a World Series in 1997 with the Indians, the Brewers in 1998, which, like we mentioned, and we talked about the game that's always on the SNY network, one of the Mets classics, which was uh, Piazza's first game uh, with the Mets. He ends up hitting the double off of Juden, but, you know, ends up finishing his career with the Angels and up with the Yankees in 1999. And listen, great spot. I mean, you get a chance to uh, check out his products. You know, he's a uh, you know, he's doing some good stuff with that, uh, jeffjuden.com. So, uh, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Uh, we're going to just kind of jump into things, man. We're in the second hour. Like I said, we're going to talk uh, with Al Grabowski, who I think is a great spot, you know, a pre-recorded interview that we got. And what I had started before, before we, uh, we spoke to Andy McAuliffe and, of course, Jeff Juden, what, what we kind of got on a little bit is we're talking about my countdown, my team previews, and really, let's be honest, the one spot that you could really look at and say that every team has a chance. And I started to kind of touch on it. We're talking about the Houston Astros. And I'm not going to go crazy and say that the Houston Astros are going to do anything that can't be done or hasn't been done before. They're going to go out there and be the Oakland A's of, of uh, 2013. But let's be honest. I mean, I, I, I do have to eat some crow because I picked the Oakland Athletics last season to have the absolute worst record in Major League Baseball. And they obviously go out there, they win 94 games, they win the AL West, you know, and the whole thing. But one thing I found interesting in covering each team for a day and really kind of dissecting the rosters and getting into what they did in the offseason, what the farm looks like, what the returning players look like, what the development of the current players look like, is there is a lot to be excited for if you're a fan of any team. And like Andy McAuliffe mentioned with the Mets, they got the young players that you could root for, the Matt Harveys, the Darnos, Ike Davis is probably a 30-plus home run hitter if he's healthy, that every team has a legitimate chance. And what I got into talking about a couple teams in particular, the Houston Astros and the Chicago Cubs, that I think that there's a lot more hope that you could have or you could hang on either one of these teams. Now, I don't think the, the Astros are going to go out there and be 500 or compete for a playoff spot. And I did pick, pick them to lose 111 games this year. I think I went, what was it, 51 and 111, the worst record in Major League Baseball. And, you know, let's be honest, if I, if I polled about, you know, 1,000 people, about 990-something of them would probably give me a similar record or even worse. But the good thing that I see about the Houston Astros is, number one, there's some young players that could come up and be a factor and maybe make an impact either this year or in sometime in the near future. But one thing that I liked of what they did this offseason and last year and kind of within the last couple of years is they've gone out there and they've taken chances on players who had high ceilings in other organizations. And, you know, for, for example, a guy such as, Fernando Martinez of the New York Mets, Justin Maxwell, formerly of the Washington Nationals, amongst other teams, uh, Chris Carter, who they traded for with the Oakland Athletics in a deal that sent Jed Lowry over there, um, other guys like and, um, Matt Dominguez, the third base prospect, formerly of the Miami slash Florida Marlins, a guy that they thought the world of about two, three years ago. So now it. it Rather than filling, rather than going out there and filling their roster with players that are retreads or uh, veteran players to just fit a spot on a team or guys that nobody else wanted to sign, they they took a chance on younger players when they're rebuilding, and I think that's something that's extremely, extremely you know, to be commemorated. That you go out there and listen, you're not going to expect to win a lot of games this year with what you got. But rather than grabbing guys off the free agent market that are just veteran players that are going to be unhappy playing on a bad team, you, you made it an open audition from, from A to Z. You know, you got Dominguez playing third base. You got Fernando Martinez in the outfield. You got Chris Carter playing first base. These are all guys that could have been stars. They were prospects that were very highly regarded by other teams before. Other teams, such as the Mets and the, and the Marlins and the Oakland Athletics, thought these guys were going to come in and be major stars on their team. And, of course, through injuries and ineffective performances and things like that, it didn't turn out. But the fact that they're still young and they're not done with the game yet, the Astros have gone out there and said, listen, 
maybe we could catch lightning in a bottle with one or maybe more of, of some of these players. And I think, you know, it's very interesting to look at because, uh, listen, there's, there's, no, there's no spots that aren't open with the Houston Astro team. I mean, if you look at the team, they got Tyler Green playing shortstop. He was with the St. Louis Cardinals last year. Kind of a uh, utility infielder for them, but he's going to get a chance to play every day. The Cardinals liked him in years past. Maybe he could be an everyday player. Fernando Martinez, you put him out in right field, and you see what you get over the course of a 162-game season. Maybe he could be that five-tool player the Mets thought that he would be. You know, Jose Altuve is really their one star, their one young player, the guy that you would expect to see represent the Houston Astros in the All-Star game this year, 2013, at Citi Field. He's the one guy that you really think that the team is kind of building itself around as they're waiting for some of the younger players to develop. J.D. Martinez is a guy who's been in their farm system, a guy they like a lot. So you put all these players together and you say, listen, maybe they could all click at the same time. And I don't think anybody with a, a half a mind on their shoulder is going to expect the Houston Astros to go out there and be gangbusters and dominate and surprise people, particularly going to the American League. I mean, geez, you're going to the American League West, you know, when you were playing in the National League Central last year. Obviously a strong division. You got the Rangers, you got the Angels, you got the Oakland Athletics. And let's stop to talk about the Seattle Mariners for a little bit, who have made some very good improvements this year and expect to be competitive. Nobody expects the Astros to do anything but finish last in the American League West. But if you're an Astros fan or you're somebody that follows the team closely, you would probably be intrigued by a lot of the players that are in camp and a lot of the players who are going to get a chance to play every day when they normally wouldn't have on other teams. And we're not talking about scrubs. We're not talking about guys that nobody necessarily wants. The Astros have gone out there and been aggressive and made waiver claims and trades and gone after guys with huge upside that the other team may have kind of given up on. And for that, I commend the Astros for it. And I do think that they have an interesting team, if not very good. I think their pitching is going to be what's going to be their real downfall this year and what's really going to hurt them as they as they try to compete for the 2013 season. Yes, they're going to lose 100-plus games. It's going to be a tough season for new manager Bo Porter. I wish him the best, but you know, unfortunately the Astros aren't going to look good this season. But on to the Chicago Cubs, who I thought were an interesting team because I've heard in you know kind of peeps here and there that some people are a little higher on the Cubs than they really should be giving credit. And you know I got the chance last night to do my prediction, to break down the team, to go through the roster, A to Z, see what they got in the farm system, see what they got in their pitching staff offense, you know the moves that they made, what they've lost, and where they really seem to be. And in my opinion... I think this is an improved team. But that being said, they lost 101 games last year. So they're improved, but not by that much. I see them maybe going out there and you know, finishing the season maybe 73 and 89, something like that, probably towards the bottom of the division. We'll get into the Brewers maybe a little bit in the second hour, who I'm very down on this season. But I can see the Cubs improving for a couple reasons. And once one reason is going to be their starting pitching. And I do think that the moves they made to upgrade their starting rotation did not get a lot of attention because of some of the other pitchers that were out there. They went out there and they, they signed Edwin Jackson. And the first thing that really happened with this, the first criticism that you make when a team like the Chicago Cubs goes out there and signs Edwin Jackson to a four-year contract for $52 million is you say, wow, they overpaid. And while they may have overpaid, you know, a guy that's, what, pitched for, what, 10 teams in the last three years, or, you know, exaggerating, obviously, but he's averaged about a team a year over the last, like, six, seven years. Uh, you know, did they overpay? Yeah, maybe they did a little bit. But I do think Jackson provides their rotation with some stability that they didn't really have before. And I think you put him in there with a healthy Matt Garza, and, of course, that's a question. He's already been hurt this spring. He had some injury issues last year, but Matt Garza is pitching for a contract. And if he could go out there and throw 200 innings, make his 34 starts, and be that ace-type pitcher that a lot of people think that he could be, then I think that bodes well for the Chicago Cubs. Throw that in there with a guy by the name of Jeff Samarja that nobody talks about. Jeff Samarja last year went out there, 
180 strikeouts and 174 and two-thirds innings. He really emerged as the team's ace and a team that has Garza returning and adds Edwin Jackson. To still tab Jeff Samarja as their opening day starter shows what they think of this guy. And Samarja is going to go out there and he's going to throw innings. He is going to get better too. And I think this is a year that he could very well break out. So you've got those three guys anchoring your rotation. And I'm going to get into another guy that I think nobody talks about. And that's a guy that's acquired in the Cincinnati Reds trade last year that sent Sean Marshall to the Reds. And that's Travis Wood. Travis Wood reminds me of a Jonathan Neese. They're about the same age. I believe Neese is a little older. So I, I could see Wood kind of going on the same progression as a Jonathan Neese. But if Travis Wood would go out there and have a year that Jonathan Neese had last year, you know, from A to Z, starting it, finishing it, doing what he what, what he had to do, what Neese did last year, then I think they got it. They got a pitcher here, and that that gives them four solid starters. And what they've done by going out there and bringing in a lot of number fives that could also relieve Scott Feldman, Scott Baker. You know, guys like that, Carlos Villanueva. These are these are all guys that could really make this rotation better. And if you're talking about the American League, I'm sorry, the National League Central, yes, the, the Reds are leaps and bounds ahead of them. The Cardinals are leaps and bounds ahead of them, possibly even the Pirates. But I could see them going out there and winning some games against those teams, particularly because of their starting pitching. And you talk about their offense – Anthony Rizzo could very well have a breakout season. I wouldn't be surprised if he went out there, hit 300, hit 30 bombs, and drove in about 105 runs. This guy is the real deal, and he's a guy that obviously Jed Hoyer has, has liked since he's uh, laid eyes on him. He had him in Boston. He traded for him in San Diego. He traded for him in Chicago. He obviously wants this guy to be a face of the franchise. And I think if you're the Chicago Cubs and you put Anthony Rizzo out there and Starling Castro out there and a couple of, of, of the other unknowns kind of click a little bit, this team has a chance to get towards the 500 mark. Postseason, yeah, I think that's a little too much to ask for for the Chicago Cubs here, but I think they have a lot to say that they've improved this year. They went out there and they got Scott Harrison, who could play in a platoon-type situation with Nate Shearholtz in right field. You got David DeJesus in center. Alfonso Soriano hit 32 homers, drove in 105 runs last year for the Chicago Cubs, and nobody talks about it. The only talk that Alfonso Soriano gets is what team is he going to. And I think the Chicago Cubs and the start that they get off of get off to is going to have a lot to do with what happens. Are they going to have a fire sale? Are they going to trade Matt Garza? Are they going to trade Alfonso Soriano? It's all possible. If this team tanks it, if this team starts out 2-20, and 20, or this team is riding in the basement of the National League Central Division for a good portion of the season, yes, they're going to start trading off their players and they're going to look for the future because the goal of Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer is to make this team, this franchise, good for the next 5-10 to 10 years as opposed to right now. But I wouldn't rule them out, not talking about a playoff spot, but I wouldn't rule them out as far as being very competitive. If this team finished 500, I would not be shocked. Like I said, I went to my predictions. I went out there. I said they're going to be, uh, I think their over-under was 72, if I'm not mistaken. I picked the over, but only by one. I had them at 73 and 89, which I think is fair. It's a fair enough assessment, something that you could say that this team could improve 12 games over the 101 losses they had last year and lose just 89. So I think those are things that all have to be considered. Expect the Cubs to improve, but maybe not by leaps and bounds, maybe not by what, what people expect it to be. But I do think that is something that definitely has to be considered. So I do want to thank Andy McAuliffe. I want to thank Jeff Juden for being part of the first hour of the Passball Show. Uh, we're going to take a little break. We'll be back with a little more after this.